Hello, and welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I'm Dana Marie Rockmore, the founder of the Dinner Party Project and co-founder of The Welcome House. I'll be inviting intriguing guests over to my home to chat about some of my favorite things, cocktails, story, the Enneagram, and rest. Hello, friends. Thank you once again for listening in. Um, I really enjoy this process. I didn't realize how much I missed it over the holidays. So it's been really fun to get back chatting with people that are so fun to be around and to chat with. Um, This week's guest is uh, a gentleman that I've known for many years and has done a myriad of things. Um, Before we get to that, I was going to share the cocktail recipe with you, which I might be one of my new favorites. It's pretty intense, (laughs) but uh, that's what I like. And it is a French martini, which I've never had until recently, but I um, found this recipe and it's, uh, yeah, I just really like it. So it's also very simple, but somehow tastes complex. It is an ounce and a half of Tito's, an ounce and a half of Chambord, and then two ounces of fresh squeezed pineapple juice. And that is it. You're gonna build that in a cocktail shaker with ice, shake it for about a minute, and then pour it into preferably a chilled coupe. And yeah. It's so simple and very simple to drink. So if you make it, let me know. And our guest today is a friend of mine, Kyle Steele, who has had such an interesting road, life, and journey and is a gentleman of, um, yeah, super interesting uh, man and has had so many different business ventures and is, uh, in an entrepreneurial space and has an entrepreneurial spirit. And, um, we worked kind of alongside each other. I was, um, more active in the credo conduit space a couple years ago. And when this whole thing is over, I should probably be more active there. Um, but Kyle Steele has such a heart for people and for telling of people's stories. So I think, uh, it was really fun to have him on and to share hey, his Kyle. story, Pretty which I learned Welcome so much. Welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation about. podcast. And it was really excited to share to uh, whoever is listening. So I hope that you really enjoy Sadly, Kyle not and right next to each other, so we can't actually cheers. Yeah. And yeah. this new year is we'll cheers, and then we'll yeah. cheers. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's good. It's good. Yeah, I like that. This is a new one that I made, like I was telling you last night at a dinner party. It's called a French martini. Um, I really do love Chambord, which is like a raspberry liqueur. I was just about to ask you that. No, yep. I've heard of Chambord it's before. From, yeah, from France. And then we mix that up with some Tito's vodka. I like the Tito's. I like the Tito's. And then um, I got some like cold pressed pineapple juice. What does that mean? Are you putting it in a juicer or are you? They, it is cold pressed is somehow some way of they like the process of how they juice. And then I think they maybe automatically freeze it. So it like oh. keeps the flavor and the nutrients in it yeah. better. Yeah. 
Yeah. Versus then just like a Tropicana, you yeah, know, yeah. like a, get at the store, screw the, like a pasteurized something. Right. Screw the cap off and pour. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. So yeah, fresh juice in a cocktail to me is like, sign me up. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Chambord seems like one of those things where you want to mix it with things that are of its equal. Mm-hmm. And so Tito's makes sense. Yeah. And then the pineapple juice, like you say, you definitely don't want to use Just something out of a bottle that you get a 7-Eleven. Right. You want you want it to be high end. Yeah. Yeah. So I got a high end cocktail for you. Yeah, I appreciate that. For a high end kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're, You're very welcome. generous. Um, speaking of cocktails, uh, mm. I would love to know kind of your uh, if you have like a go to drink or if you have a favorite. Do you make a cocktail as a little treat at home? Are you a yeah. home bartender? Um, what's kind of your uh, uh, a delight to? Yeah. To treat yourself to. So on 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 the regular, if if I'm just gonna have a cocktail, it's usually Tito's and um a LaCroix with with some with some lemon or lime juice. Okay. Um, very simple key lime right key lime yeah like key lime lime juice i forget the name of it but it's in the yellow bottle with the like the little oh, yeah. top on it um yes but uh we get that everywhere so yeah so i, I usually just drink that like because it doesn't cause me a lot of problems it's so easy um, yeah it is easy and at then, the end of the day you're like done right. yeah and, and i feel like the caloric intake is not as high as other things right sure um no added sugar yeah, no added sugar. Um, but so that's that's that. I dabble a little bit in bourbon, but sometimes bourbon can get a little too heavy for me. Okay. Um, and I don't think that I enjoy it the way that people that someone should enjoy it, right? Mm. Um and and, and 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 so then, but my favorite is um is um rum. Like I really like a high quality rum, and so I, you know, I don't know if you know this, but have you tried Diplomatico? Yeah, so Diplomatico, depending on which one you get, can be a little too sweet for me. Okay, um, and I think because they add maybe some sugar to it, or a little bit, or something, or some molasses to it. But um, I'm really a fan of um, Cuban rum so like okay. when we go down like well we've been to cuba for several many times and right and i always go there and i try to find like the local rum that they make and havana club does a great um rum down there and i really enjoy like a good rum just neat mm. um that's good that is good and that is one thing called conchata chata something but it's like rum honey and lime mixed. Okay. And it's, that's I really, think really good. That I have heard of that. I'm probably killing Can the name. name. Yeah. Like the name was like a conchata or something. Yeah. <laughs> but it's really, really good. Yeah. I'm trying to think of that name too. Yeah. Um, Cipriano, Cipri, something. Um, I mean, on the menu yes. down there in Havana, it was like conchata, <laughs> chata, right? And so, like, it, it, like people um, think that the food is similar to what we experience here in the U.S., but it's not. Um, it's a U.S. version of Cuban food, which okay. is way high end, right? Down there is pr- mainly protein, lettuce, tomatoes, and then if you get a cocktail, like, of course they have like Havana Club and rums, like that's the thing. But then it's like depending on what's available. And so there's a lot of honey. 
There's yeah. a lot of lime. So it's natural that they would concoct a drink sure. around what's available, right? Do they have a Havana Club? Like they sell it in the States, right? Yeah. I feel like but, I've seen it in. But you can't, like, because of, I guess, the U.S. Cuban relations. Or, yeah, like yeah. The, you can't get, um, you can't sell Cuban rum here in the U.S. Now you can bring it in oh. with you. Yeah, you can bring it in with you personally. You can bring in like I forget what it is, what the quantity is. So you can, they don't sell it here in like a. No, you store. cannot. You cannot oh, get okay. it, and it's super cheap. Like I like I like I had a you know bottles that are seven year old, ten year olds, twenty year olds. Um, one is called a. I cannot remember the name of it, but if you take it and you sell it, I've seen where you like go to Canada or the UK to buy it. It runs at least 120 or I'm sorry, 80 euro, which is closer to 100, $110 US. Right. And down there you buy it for like $35. And so you just stock up on it, but I'm looking forward to getting back there. So you um, just, you just put your money in a plane ticket and then you can just um, yeah. stock up on some really affordable booze. It was such a short flight, right? It's like, uh, it used to be Orlando. You fly straight into Havana. Right. $170. Right. You can get like a really round cool, trip, round trip. You can get a really cool Airbnb. Um, uh, in a, at an apartment somewhere in Havana or outside of Havana mm -hmm. for like $15 a night, $20 a night. $15 a night? Yeah, I mean, because like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the average person makes their maybe total like 30, 50 US a month, but they can. But, total? Yeah, I mean, because the cost, everything is taken care of, you know, like you, the government pay for takes. for your, your lodging? Help. Oh, just people. Yeah. Like, no, like people don't own really houses down there. Everything is provided for by the government, food, housing at a base level. Right. Yeah. So nobody should be homeless and no, and everybody has access to food. Um, but the, the thing is, is that, is that, is that it's, it's still like, like, um, so, you know, you could be a doctor, an attorney and in the U S they make a lot of money in Cuba, for example, um, your cab driver, who comes to pick you up is probably a surgeon and he's probably one of the best surgeons in the world because Cubans are really, really good. And, they, and they're they're because they had to work with so little, but they're highly skilled. Right. Okay. Um, and so you can have like the best neurosurgeon as your cab driver driving you from the airport to your Airbnb. And you ask, you say, well, why are you doing this? You're a neurosurgeon. Like you should be making millions of dollars if, you, if they work at Avon or anywhere here in the States. And they say, well, could you make more money? And then you realize that you, you're paying him you're $30 to As go from, yeah, from $30 to go from the airport 10 miles into Havana uh, or five miles or somewhere in between there. So it's $30. So if he does that 10 times a day, that's $300 in a day. So right. you, it's, it's, so you see a lot of high end professionals in Cuba who driving cabs, um, renting out their apartments and Airbnb. So they might stay downstairs and then they right. let you have the ups part. They charge you $15, $20 a night. It's really nice, really safe. Um, They're I mean, making the income that they need. Yeah. I mean, cause you can live like a king down there on like Amber and I, when, when we go down there, I remember right. having a lunch where we had probably five cocktails a piece between us, like high end cocktails. We ate appetizers. We had many appetizers. We ate food. Oh my the gosh. bill came back and, and I expected it to be at least like 150 somewhere in that range. Mm -hmm. 
the bill came back. It was like $38. (laughs) I can't even comprehend. Like, I mean, that's you're saying minimum of 10 cocktails plus a full meal for both of you. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm saying you you need to know this. (laughs) (laughs) Once we travel again, honey, that's why we, we love Cuba. Like we go down there and you can take my wife and I, we can go down there and I can put eight. We got to take all the cash that you possibly will need down there because you can't access ATMs. So okay. you use cash. You change over to Kook, which is one for one. And you're like, well, that's a ripoff because it's one for one. I know the US dollar is more than, than, than the Kook, but that's the tourist currency. They have two currencies. Um, and then, but then when you go to spend the Kook, you realize you get a lot more for it. For a whole. Yeah. Coup. So, yeah. so like, we would go to dinner at like this one place called the, um, oh man, La, 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 La Grande, La Grande, I forget the name of it, but it's, it was featured on, um, one of those food networks and Michelin chef and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. It's at the top of some building, um, that you walk into is really historic. You go there and it's like kind of laid out like this and, um, high end dinner that will easily in the U S cost you f- Four hundred dollars, okay. And plus tip, it was like one hundred and thirty. So damn, living yeah. large. Cuba's a beautiful place. You should go. I should go. I'd love to go. Up. Let me let me add it. Yeah. Um, okay, so if you're not going out in Cuba, if you were to go out here in Orlando, uh, either previously and or now, I mean, we can go some places outdoors, you know. But where would be a spot or two that you would you would grab um, a drink in town around town? So now life looks a little differently. So I'll start now. Sure and I'll go backwards, right? Yeah. So I have a kid. He's fourteen months old. That's crazy. Um, yeah, he's he's like a little Toddler. mini human walking around the house. It looks a little strange. Yeah. Um, you're still feeding him, still. Yeah, he's like still surviving. Although right. like he didn't have a manual, um, it's like <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have a manual. You're like, oh, okay, we're doing pretty good. He's still growing; his teeth right. are coming out. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like okay, we're doing something. <laughs> um, now, like we just don't get to go out, um, so that's it's just harder. Sure. Um, but, um, but if we were to go out or even before our favorite places to go out to have a cocktail. Is that what that was? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't anywhere fancy. It wasn't, it was like, it was this bar downtown called Cleo's and it's kind of divey ish. Where? How do I not know about Cleo's? the thing that I liked about it is that they just pour it well. Okay. And so, they heavy-handed. <laughs> yeah, they're very heavy-handed. <laughs> so I don't think I've ever walked out of there with a bill more than 25, 30 bucks. But they just took care of you. And Will, who's the owner, like that was just part of his thing. He came from a lineage of bar bartenders who said, um, which I found out like there's a, there's these splinters and you know, based on how they pour, like they come, like he came from like the Willie's line. Like I think this was called Willie's um, used, to, used to be on Mills. Wally's? Wally's, yeah. So he was Wally's. like with him. Oh, Wally's. And then they yeah. split off. And then you people split off from him and they all pour the exact same, right? But the, the philosophy is, is that you just pour well. Like you, if you you pour well, you might make, make less on the bottle, but the customer will stay with you forever. Mm-hmm. And so like 
he made, he, I mean, he made his money on a bottle because, you know, they buy it, get it for cheap. But the fact is, is that we, we, we were there every Friday night or Thursday or Sunday night or Saturday night. Okay. Or Sunday afternoon Repeat watching games. customers. Right. Yeah. And spending money for, you know, five, eight years. Eight Where years. is Cleo's? It's on, it's like right off of Central and uh, I forget the name of the street. Is it in like like Wall Street area? No, or? no, it's okay. definitely not Wall Street. Uh, but it's it's like off of it's like because Central is like my street right here. Yeah, so it's I'm like kind of like it's like Central, but it's it's on. Um, man, it is like it's almost on the. Uh, you know where Magnolias is. Mm-hmm. It's on the street, the other street over, uh, over there's a, there's a, there's a bar. So the guy who, who's at Magnolia's, I think Magnolia's made clothes. He came from, from, um, Cleo's and you have to be careful to differentiate Cleo's cause there's like two Cleo's in town. There's Cleo's the bar and then okay. there's Cleo's the strip club. Oh. I've never been to Cleo's the strip club. Neither have I actually. Okay. okay. Yeah. I just want to make it, make, make not- sure that we're clear on that. Yes, <laughs> I am being inter- I am being introduced to so many different things today. So I mean, like you're not gonna get a fancy, you know, but cocktail you'll get a pour of something that you that you enjoy. So I can go there, and I remember one time I was on Don Julio Reposado, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed it. And you go anywhere, and you go there, and you just pour it in a glass, right. a pint glass. You'll just and I used to do it on the rocks with a with a lime and. I, would, I could drink that all night and leave out pretty happy. Okay. Yeah. And tequila agrees with you? Yeah, I can do, yeah, I can drink tequila. But if I do, it has to be just a good one, like a Reposado. Right. Um, and and I have to drink it neat. You have to drink it neat. I, well, what or is on neat the mean? rock? On the rocks, yeah. On, on the rock. rock. Neat is without ice. Okay, yeah. yeah that's, that's so nice. on the rocks is... Yeah, yeah, and then with a lime and that's it. Okay. Right. I, try, I try to drink everything as clean as possible. Because my, my, my stepmother, when I was younger, she said, listen, I know y'all are drinking... I was like, well, how do you know that? I didn't realize later on that there were actually marking bottles. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> They're not dummies. Yeah, but I was just like, what you, how did you know we were drinking stuff? Right. So she's, she says like, look, I'm not going to be able to stop you. But if you are going to, um, my recommendation is, is that you only drink high-end liquor, That's period. Good... You will live longer and look better. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And I think that I agree with her on that. Right. As a matter of fact, I do agree with her. So I, I've been drinking high end liquor I since I was in college. I did not get that same instruction. Oh, as yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I got that. I was she drinking was like Zima's here. out in the woods oh. with my friends. <laughs> Zima. So wow. gross. With the blue body. Yeah, the blue oh. label. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, sadly, that was my introduction to, to alcohol, which my parents... <laughs> We're not keen on, but anyway, I di- I digress. Um, <laughs> so speaking of family and story and all those kind of things, um, I would love to know kind of like your your origins and your family of origin, and kind of mm-hmm. like we don't really choose where we get to uh, be. be placed in the world. Yeah. I, I believe that we're kind of, you know, it's, uh, it's not in, in our, uh, uh, decision making. So right. we're here and then we're trying to figure it out figure for the out. rest of our lives. But, um, 
where was kind of like the place that you started and what was kind of the feeling of growing up in your household? Um, well, I'm from Detroit, uh, and I like to say like the stage that I was born on, um, and I always talk about like life in terms of, um, like, like story, right. It's like, there's, it's like almost like you're participating in a, in a play or a movie, but a movie and play that has a purpose. Right. And so I, I, I talk about it. Well, okay. What, what is the stage you're born on? And then, because that stage matters because it dictates kind of some of the earlier influences on why things you grew up a certain way and how you are. And so with me, it was like my parents were not together. Um, I like I, I, I like my parents. I have challenges with them in very unique in different differing ways. But mm-hmm. um, and but they, it was it was a relationship of convenience. Mm. Um, my mother was you know single. Um, she was young. She was like twenty one. Her mother had died like maybe a few years prior. Oh, she was man. in college trying to make it. She her father remarried to a woman that she didn't really like and agree with and so she was just out of the house so she was just this young girl who was like very attractive trying to trying get to through college and just trying to make it and then yeah. just working at some party store that my father would attend and I said why did you date my father like was, were you in love with him she was like I wouldn't say that. I would say that he would drive up and he always dressed nice. He drove this Corvette and I used to be like, how does a man that large fit in a car that small? And he always had like the best where he would walk in with the temptations and all these people that. And so he was like the actual temptations. Yeah. Like because he like grew up around a lot of those guys. Right. Like Like in Detroit, Motown. Right. And so um, and then he Uh, what is a party store? <laughs> party stores, like, yeah. Wait, they don't call party stores. Like, it's like a little corner store where you you can get uh, soda. Like a bodega, like a like a yeah. I guess they would call it a bodega, but market? you buy like liquor there. You buy like like a package store. Yeah, but you buy like chips, and it would be like a Seven Eleven, but if Seven Eleven so liquor. Right. Um, okay. So they call it in Detroit. They just call it a party store. Oh, okay. Because you go there. That's where you go to, to get your party started. That makes an incredible amount of sense. Yeah. I think that I have never actually heard that term for that okay. actual type of. Yeah, um, I didn't realize that it was actually offering. a regional. Regional. I was like, is she at like Party City? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> selling like costumes. Yeah, no, like, she wasn't selling costumes. She's right. she's at, she's at party a party store. store. Okay. Yeah, working the counter at the cash register party store. So you see my father walk in and um. He was balling. Yeah, she was just like he and then he was he was older. And so she just she was like she looked at him was like security. Sure. I was like, so, mom, you're a gold digger. So I guess this is if you want to call it that. <laughs> <laughs> and then so when my father said, well, why did you like my mother? And he was just like. And so as I listened to him, the bottom line was that she was just fly. You know, he was it's like beautiful. she was young. She was beautiful. She was fly. And, and so, you know, coach in, in their minds, like one is providing security and others. It's like it's, providing it's, beauty. It's, it's very. Yeah. I mean, it's so stereotypical. So but whatever. It's, it's like um but that's how it happened. And then, and then sure. she got pregnant and, and that wasn't, she wasn't intending on getting pregnant and she freaked out by all that. And she was like, well, how do I do this? Because she wasn't like the relationship between her, my father wasn't like a marriage or anything and uh-huh. didn't feel, I guess at some point secure. So mm-hmm. she, it freaked her out. 
um, to the point where she was actually considering um, getting an abortion. And so, you know, like, and I heard that and I was like, dang, like, you want to get an abortion? But my father talked her out of it. And, 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 um, and so I said to her, I said, well, why did you want to get an abortion? Because I needed to understand. Cause that was probably, that was probably something that like bothered me in my entire life hearing this yeah. and not really understanding. And it led to a lot of other issues my mother and I had, but, um, but I found out that it was because she said, well, you know, I knew that having a child out of wedlock was possible, but everybody I saw do it had their mom. And I knew if you had your mom, like you would be okay. But I, but my mom wasn't there. Right. And so I was scared and I could, didn't trust your father and I didn't think I was going to be okay. Well, I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. That made it like human. More like, sense. I, I get yeah. it now, right? Um, it wasn't just like a casual dismissal. It yeah, was it was like, like survival. Really, yeah, it was reasons that yeah. I mean, I may not necessarily agree with all but agree with all of it, but it's just like but it was her truth and what she was experiencing as a young girl mm. and, and and so it was just like, oh, it became less personal. And um and then she's like, but your father was just relentless, right, about it. And, you know, and, and then it dawned on me in the conversation that, and I asked my father, same thing, and he confirmed the story. And, he, and, and then it dawned on me that, um, that, oh, I should have put my phone on silent, but it dawned on me that, that my father and I have had, have had issues. And a lot of it, part, part of it is his stubbornness. And I realized that um, one of the things that I hated the most about him or still very much so dislike now is the thing that actually saved me, right? Um, his stubbornness. Um, That's why you're here. Yeah. Right. So it's just like I, got, I have a weird relationship with my parents because I know what they, as I say to Amber, um, in a in a microcosm, um, there's things about them that I really dislike. But if I pull back and see the bigger picture, I can see how those things actually became my benefit and mm. are components of why I'm here today. So, um, but that anyway. So that was the stage I was born. I was born in Detroit. And, and to two parents who weren't married and uh -huh. it was pretty rough. So, sure. in Detroit. so yeah. Um, so were you, uh, like mostly living with your mom and like, did you have any siblings or like, did yeah. you have your dad in your life? At, at so I'm, I'm weird because I have like siblings older and younger. I have four siblings, two, two sisters, two brothers who are older. And then I have from a, your dad on my dad. Yeah. yeah side. And then because right. my dad was like previously married. And then I have um, a brother and a sister from my mom's side because she got um, married afterwards. Right. And and so I have these siblings. Right. Who I who I really only have like a very strong relationship with one of them. Um, but um, but. So I, I'm I'm kind of personality wise and and, and like kind of um, bipolar, right? Um, I don't know if that's the right word, but it feels like it's the right one. But but when I say that, what I mean is like it's like I'm I have the baby characteristics, like being the baby. I have older sibling characteristics, I have middle child characteristics, and I have only child characteristics because although I have all of those siblings, I lived in each one of those cohorts mm -hmm. um as a middle as a baby and and one as an older and but and then a lot of time was spent by myself mm -hmm. because i just lived with my father and i left like my mother um 
probably when I was seven and eight, I kind of remember, I remember when it happened. Um, but she, I just happened to end up at my father's house and just kind of stayed there for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Well, until I graduated from high school. That's a long time. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, I mean, it was, it was kind of a a shocking thing. Um, but I, I, you know, it was like Detroit. It was, it was, it was tough. Um, um, I was a boy. She, I was starting to get flexing a little bit. Um, I remember getting in trouble um, at school and I knew I was going to go home. I was like, man, I'm about to get in trouble. I'm about to get a, a butt whooping. <laughs> and, and from your dad, from my mom, I was living with my mom. My father is like, I, I, I remember him, but I don't remember him. Like he okay. wasn't really around. And so um, I was like, okay, I'm gonna go home. My mother's gonna be very angry at this. Um, but the previous night I watched like Roots and I watched Toby or Kunta Kente take a butt whooping. And I said, you know, if he can do it, I can do it. And he got beat by a guy who was a slave master. Right. And it was much worse. And so my mother won't beat me like that. So I'll take it. So that whole scene, I kind of in my mind said, I'm going to reenact. And so I was just defiant. She came home. She was like trying to whoop me. And I just stood there. And I didn't, I realized later Hillary, on, that, this I was probably like seven, eight years old. Oh, and I just stood there like, you know, like it was just like, she wasn't like beating me like a, like, like, so a, you watched Roots at seven, seven, eight. Yeah. Like I thought all black kids watch Roots and <laughs> seven, eight. Yeah. <laughs> but, That's but, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I remember watching it. Yeah. Watching it, it used to come on TV. Um, uh-huh. and yes. so and that just stood there, Barbara. right? And she, and I remember she only like tapped me a couple of times, but I, but I responded in a way that she wasn't used to, which was in defiance. I just stood there. And at that moment, she made the decision that I need to be with my father. And so she told me I was going on vacation. I'm just gonna go over there and visit him. And then I just stayed over there, which led to some other issues that I had. But, right. um, but yeah, I ended up in my father's house and grew up there from eight until I left high school. high school. Yeah. Speaking of high school and middle school and growing up in the years where we're forming so much of ourselves and trying to figure mm-hmm. out who we are, like who was Kyle like in middle school, high school? I know sports was a big part. Um, yeah, I mean, like, so I, I went from Detroit, which is all black, very hood to like Reston, Virginia, which is the completely opposite. Very- you Grew up in Reston, Virginia. Yeah, Reston, Virginia. I grew up in Herndon, Virginia. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so did you go to Herndon High School? No, I went to Loudoun County. Okay. And then I went to Loudoun Valley because we ended up okay. moving out a little bit. So I lived in okay. Herndon for seven years. Okay, but you didn't go to Herndon High School. I did not. Okay. And then I went to Lees, and then we lived in Leesburg for a while. Okay. And yeah. then we moved out to Loudoun County. So okay. I went to yeah. Valley. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was in Reston. What? <laughs> yeah. I used to go ice skating at the Reston oh, Town yeah. Center. Oh, yeah. The Reston Town Center. Oh, yeah. yeah. We might have been ice skating together. We or probably, yeah. That's... So I remember when they built it. Like, yes. I was like, oh, this is like fancy, right? And was we fancy. were all kids. We would just go and go to and, movies. Uh, go to movies. Go to the... Yeah. It was like a big deal, right? That was a big deal. And there was this one bar, restaurant called Clyde's. I've been to Clyde's. Came to hang out like <laughs> so, that's so northern Virginia. Yeah, right. Nova. Very north. Yeah, Nova. That's, so I mean, yeah, that's that was my part of my childhood. Yeah. Was that area. That area. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So so you know what I'm talking about. Yes. So it was completely different world. So you got dropped off from Detroit 
to Reston. Well, my father moved to Reston and and it was just like different. So I had to like deal with just like the difference culturally. Right. Of what was going on. People like would make fun of me because, you know, like maybe how I talk, like the words I would say. Um, culturally, I would feel that they're pretty different. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like Detroit, you know, like West Side or East Side Detroit versus Reston, Virginia or night and day. Like, <laughs> so um, and it was just a lot of uh, people with money and stuff like that. So I was just trying to figure this out and in the chaos of just being a middle schooler, right? Like um, your body is yeah, changing or it was all over the place. Yeah. Um, and but I remember being like kind of like asserting myself in certain ways, you know, I didn't people may make fun of me, but they weren't going to like push over me. Right. And so people knew that they couldn't mess with me. Um, um, and so uh, so yeah, then sports became like an outlet to in high school. You know, I was, I was an athlete. Well, yeah, I was an athlete and, and I wasn't necessarily a good student. I was, I can like turn it on when I needed to. Like so I remember, not a mathlete. No, not a, definitely not a mathlete. Like I, I, I just, I was just, I don't know what I was interested in. I mean, it was just high school. I, I enjoyed high school. Um, but I wasn't necessarily, uh, I was not a good student. And, but I knew that I was smart because like I would normally get C's or even D's. And then like one semester, somebody said something to me that made me mad and my guidance counselor. And I was like, I'll prove you. And I was like, I'll make the honor roll. And they're like, Ugh. and so like that semester, like I made all A's every class got on the honor roll people were like ah, ha, ha. and then like, the next semester I went back to being how it was and so like it was weird what that did um, huh. that I can do that like um, so it told me that I could be a good student and then it like weirded everybody out that they're like wait do we really know him like maybe we so I was like always oh, like this enigma or to them right um, so yeah so high school was high school. High school was high school. Yeah. What sports were you involved in? Um, so I just played football. That was it. Just football. I mean, yeah. that's yeah, it's a pretty yeah. big it, commitment as well. I mean, yeah, it it, it was, and it, it didn't feel like it. It wasn't. It came pretty easy. It didn't feel like work until I got to college, and then I was like, I don't want to do this. Mm. Like in college, it's just like it's like oh, everybody's good and better. How did you get to college with pulling C's and D's? I mean, he's just an athlete. So you can, if you're good enough, you can make things happen. Uh, I mean, graduated with the right GPA and the right SAT scores. Okay. Um, but, um, but you know, like they'll figure out a way to get you in. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, but then I like chose like this ended up choosing a school called Virginia Military Institute, which is so different. Like, so it went, so I'll go from Detroit, all black inner city to rest in Virginia, predominantly white, <laughs> upper middle class and high upper class to VMI, very Southern, steeped in Confederate tradition. Okay. Everything about it screams Confederacy from the uniform you wear to the statues that sit outside of your rooms to the barracks that you lived in where it's just everything, right? So I go there and it's like completely different 
worlds, right? Um, so, but I'm learning to navigate all this, and it's good for me, right? Um, all of that. And so, yeah. So, it kind of takes you through college. Through college. Well, not all the way through college. Is that where you graduated from? No, because I ended up getting kicked out of BMI. Oh, okay. Because um, the story, yes. the story is, is that well, most people, most <clears throat> there were a series of cadets who hated athletes because we got out of everything, and for legitimate reasons, like our schedule was grueling. We had like morning lift, we had to go to class, and we had to go to practice at three, and then we had film, and then we finally get to eat, and then you're sleep and doing that back. But they had animosity against us because they felt like we could like wear tennis shoes. Of course, I could wear tennis shoes. My ankles hurt, right? Like right. beating up my feet. I'm like chill, right? Um, or we didn't have to do certain things. Well, yeah, you don't have my schedule. Like when you're chilling at the cafeteria or at some cafe or whatever, hanging out, socializing. Like I'm watching film or getting beat practice, right? Like that's. Anyway, they didn't get it. But so there's a segment of population didn't like it. My roommate um, was from Roanoke. He was a racist. Um, he had run my, my one roommate out who was a Korean American. Um, he was like, man, I'm out of here, man. This dude, Bobby, Bobby um, is, is a racist. I don't want it. Like, I'm, I'm, I can't do it. And I was like, okay. So it was just Bobby and I in, in this one room in the barracks. And then one day. So the school did not acknowledge any of this? I mean, well, like now you see a lot of articles coming out about black cadets experiencing forms of racism at the Virginia Military Institute. Like there's a lot of stuff coming out. I used to think for a while I was the only one, but um, apparently I was not. Like mm -hmm. this is rampant. Uh, yeah, it was pretty, I shouldn't say it was rampant, but it was a big deal. Right. Um, but you know, to make this, so, so anyway, I'm getting ready for a parade. Bobby seemingly says to me, I remember this. He was like, Hey, how do you know my grandfather didn't own your grandfather? And so I remember being there and, and I was getting ready. I had my parade uniform on and, and I had our rifle. I took out the rifle rack and I was putting my, fixing my bayonet, which is part of like a normal procedure. And I remember, um, just fixing my, put my bayonet on. He said that to me and I clicked it off and I got up, I set my rifle down. I got up and I walked over to him and I said, if you ever say that again, I'll fucking kill you. And then I walked back, put the bandana on and went to parade. And then a few days later, he, well, he told someone his, 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 um, they, they called it the dyke system, but it was basically upperclassmen who, who were responsible for him and who he kind of took care of. Right. It was, um, and I had one too, uh -huh. um, but he, but he told them and they were part of this committee called the general committee, which is like a governing body of the student body. They brought up charges of conduct on becoming a cadet and threatening a fellow cadet. Um, I go up there. I recognize that it's all his guys, like his, his, the upperclassmen who he takes care of. It's all of them. It's all, you know, white guys. I'm so like, man, not an unbiased jury. Yeah. I'm just like, this doesn't look good. Right. And they ended up recommending kicking me out of school and, and for a semester. And, um, and then the Sergeant major was a black guy recommended suspended suspension and just confined me to base um, barracks or base for the, for the remainders of the semester. And I was like, okay. And then went up to the superintendent and he was like, I always follow the lead of them. And that was it. So, so I was going to return. And then, um, I had an opportunity to go to HBCU and I chose with them equipment. So that was completely different from BMI. Sure. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so it's just like, 
you know, that's what I ended up graduating from, like that, this all black college experience in right. Florida, right? And I was just like, whoa, there's all these black folks, like they dress up to go to class, right? Like, this is unusual, like I'm chilling, like I'm in sweatshirts, shorts, and I'm like, but they're dressed up and I'm like, okay, that's how it is. And ultimately, I love that experience. And then I ended up going to Michigan for a fellowship and that was completely different, right? So I had all these different collegiate experiences. Yeah. That's why I can probably, I think I can maneuver well through all kind of because of I've been around like every class of people types and been comfortable in all of them. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and um and so because of that, like I think that part of the benefit of that is that I'm comfortable no matter where I'm at. Like mm. I can be with super rich people. I can be with people who don't have a lot of money and be okay. Mm-hmm. Probably the lower Cuba. You know, like I love going there, just hanging out and just being with people who are just just trying to do the best they can with life. Just all humans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. So I get it, right? I can be around racist. I know, I know how that feels. I can be around people who aren't racist. Yeah. So yeah. before we move on, I do want to take a moment to say probably in my mind, I'm sure I'm wrong, but almost 80 to 90% of the time that I see you, you are in something that is representing Michigan. <laughs> As in today. Because it's just easy to wear. You like. have a very, I think, va- uh, vast uh, wardrobe. Yes, I do. Yes, you do. Yeah, um, I do. You're, you're pride of Michigan. I think it started when I was in, like, in school, or not in school, but it started in living in Detroit. Right. And, and um, I have, I have a, a great uncle who was the first black student accepted at the at Ohio State, mm. and he went there and got a master's in French because he was Creole. My, like my family, part of my family is yeah. Creole from there from that region, and so. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so it's just it's just it's easy, and I like yeah. So and then I went to school there, and then. Right. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, it's just it's good colors. <laughs> it runs deep with you, Kyle. Yeah, yeah, it runs deep, yeah. right? I'm already introducing my son to it. So. That's beautiful. So as we uh, grow and learn and figure things out, and as we become adults, we, <clears throat> you know, have more uh, control of what we want to make out of life and mm-hmm. what we do and um, what shapes us and who we want to become and life throws a lot of things at us, but, um, what would be something in your, in your life as a whole that you would say that you've found that you have kind of the most pride in or like that you've been proud of something that you have worked, worked towards or for? Yeah, I think right now I feel like I'm just my life in general. Like I'm, I got married probably like a few years ago. Well, yeah, a few years ago, be three years soon. Um, and I'm a father and, I've, you know, like I've, I'm in, you know, business partnerships with people and stuff like that. And when I think about like where I came from, I had no representations of those around me. So I, I didn't have a married family around me. Everything was dysfunctional. Um, as I mentioned, that was the stage I was born on. And that was just the people around me. Um, 
I didn't really know like my how my father demonstrated fatherhood and what I saw mm-hmm. was not the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't have that. Um, and then I definitely didn't wasn't around like business owners and people entrepreneurs, right? Like I wasn't around that either. And so to think that um, you know, like I fumbled through most of the life relationally with women and fumbled and had a lot of missteps and fumbled through, you know, experiences of flirting with having children and all that kind of stuff. And, and then fumbled with business and, you know, but to realize like I'm, I'm here today and I have a really healthy marriage. I have a really healthy sense of who I am as a man and a father and a husband. I have a healthy business relationships and I'm, I'm growing things. Like it's pretty amazing to think that, having no manual or any of that that and no representations that I am where I am today. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, the thing doesn't like you, no. but it's been having cocktails. <laughs> so um so yeah. Yeah. So I think yeah, so that's what I'm I'm pretty Most happy proud of. of. Yeah, yeah. I mean yeah, yeah just in, in the community of people that I have around me. It's like I'm pretty. How long have you been in Orlando? Since 2007. Okay. Yeah. Long, long. long it was a long time, time ago. Yeah. Right? Like it snuck up on me. Like I remember when I first moved down here, it was like, oh, like I've been here for six months. It felt like forever. It was like a year. And then probably a few years ago, I was like, oh, I've been here for ten years, like a decade. And then like recently, I'm like, oh, like 13, 14 years, almost 15 years. Mm-hmm. So, the years fly by. They do. They so do. I'm trying to figure out how to slow that down. But bonkers. Yeah, it is bonkers. So as you may know or may not know at all, cocktails are kind of my thing. At the end of a long day or any day really, crafting a drink, whether it's simple or more complex, I really look forward to a delicious cocktail. Plus it makes all conversations better. Tito's Handmade Vodka is always a go-to for me. It's the perfect thing to have on hand to make just about any cocktail. That is what I love about Tito's. It's so versatile. Anything from a Moscow mule to an elderflower martini to a white Russian. Plus, Tito's Handmade Vodka has won a million awards, but for real. It's been distilled six times and won the SF World Spirit Championship. So the next time you are looking for an incredibly drinkable cocktail, pick up some Tito's Handmade Vodka. Plus, you should head over to titosvodka.com to read up more about their story and pick up some delightful recipes. Has there ever been a season or an event or any um, time in your life that was kind of like a challenging time or any, mm-hmm. any kind of like moment of, you know, loss or tragedy or like... You know, we don't really choose kind of what happens in our life and nobody gets, nobody is uh, immune from, you know, pain or loss and those things can really shape us. Right. Um, And then it's kind of like, how do we acknowledge that, sit in it, and then how do we move through it? Yeah. Yeah. I like I felt like it was like a series of years that started from 2007 all the way up into up until um, 2015, probably. But 
um, where I was just trying to understand like, like, like what's going on? Like what, what is, what is the purpose of all this? Like, and so, I, you know, I was trying to figure out faith wise, like who, who am I? Is this thing real? Is this that? Um, I, there were aspects of who I was that I was exploring very early on that I didn't necessarily like because like right out of college, like I made like a lot, a lot, a lot of money. I was just in the right place at the right time. Um, and it was obscene. And so um, money just makes people worse, right? Like people, if you're worse, if you're already not a good person, like it'll make that, that right. If you're a good person, then it'll make that better, right? So depending on the state state you are, will govern like money will exponentially increase that mm. place for however you are. And I was just like not a good person. I just like I don't like who I am. I don't like how I'm treating people. I don't like the relationships I have. It just didn't feel right. It felt there was no depth to it. And so I started to start this long journey just trying to figure out who I was. And then ultimately, um, the first step was, okay, I'm going to quit work. I'm going to become an entrepreneur. I had some opportunities to do that. And then it got really hard. And, and I remember being like going a year where I was just like, okay, like this is not what I signed up for. And, and this is poor on, a, on another level. And like, I was eating like ramen, eggs and sweet potatoes for like a year. Like I would try mm-hmm. to survive off $10 a week, right? which cool. was sick. And so I have, I have <laughs> memories of this. Every once in a while I walk into Publix and I, and I have a thought as I sit in front of the meat aisle. And I think to myself, like I'm, I, I'll go to this register and won't even look at the total. And I remember a time where I, I was set there in that same spot and I had to make choices about do I get this or do I get this? Mm-hmm. And I sit there for like 10 minutes trying to make that choice. And, and the stress of yeah, it just, wears it just, you down. Yeah. But yeah. I knew it was, it was, it's like I stuck in and I was just like at that, that time, like I had, well, I became a Christian and, and so I was just like on this journey. I was like, okay, I'm on this journey. I trust this. Is, this is how it's supposed to work out. And, and, um, and then, and then, so that's business wise. And then, and then just in terms of relationally, like I just had like a terrible relationship that I'd gotten out of. And, and, um, yeah, a lot of things in me just kind of came out of that. And, and so I was just like, man, I, I gotta go talk to somebody about this. So I entered into mental health counseling, um, which was unusual for like being a black dude. Cause black folks don't really believe in mental health counseling. Like they are starting to believe in that, but like in the hood, if you say, Oh, I'm going to a, a mental health counselor, they're like, Oh, you crazy, right? Like you crazy, you know, like, so, but that's just all, I mean, it's just about being black culturally, like, but it, that's changed and that's the good news. But, um, I did that. And, and so, so in that moment, like I got rewired about what does masculinity really look like? Um, understanding all the trauma and events that happened in my life, like really sitting each one of those pieces of trauma and then looking and then stepping out of it and saying, how did this trauma, how was this trauma being used to make me who I was and how was I being protected and guided in this trauma mm-hmm. and, um, and making a connection to something good. So I'm no longer the victim, but I'm using the mm-hmm. trauma for to understand Um, where my power comes from and mm -hmm. my power and my purpose comes from. Right. Um, 
And so like I went through that experience and it was like um, tough. And then I met my wife and well, I knew my wife for since 2013, but I liked her like originally. And then like she had some things going on. She had just gotten done running track. She retired from being a long jumper. Mm -hmm. And then um, she just lost her mom. And then she was like dating a guy for years who like got killed in a car accident. And so when I like met her, I was like, when we went out, she told me, I was like, man, she got a lot going on. I got a lot going on. Like I'm good with this. Right? <laughs> so we just remain Ooh. friends <laughs> and, but you know like we circle back around like years later and I'm fortunate it happened that way because mm. um, everything going through that process that experience um, whether it was like my own personal faith and what that brought to the, to the picture to um, where I was business wise where I was in my mental health all that stuff allowed me to get to a point where I was able to have a a be in a position both mentally and spiritually to be able to even enter into a healthy relationship yeah. and, and ultimately a marriage right right and to ultimately be a father right so uh, so i'm fortunate that i went through all of that because who i was like i had to to be where i am today like that stuff had to die right um you had to walk through those experiences to be able to come out on the other side to be in a place of, you know, more yeah. healing and growth yeah. and have the, we're going to, we're going to talk about, you know, like the self-awareness part in a minute, but I think it is so incredible to be able to have the self-awareness to know, like, mm. I'm not in the place that I want to be. Like I'm right. not the person I want to be. And then it is not the victimhood of like, I mean, life happens to everybody, Yeah, it does. but then it's like, okay, so we feel all of that. And sometimes we do need help. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. I started counseling in 2003 and I wouldn't be the person I am today without that. Um, right. Right. So it's beautiful to, to be able to like, you yeah. know, like we all have a story and it is up to us, I think, to, right. uh, you know, some people get handed a more shitty hand at the beginning. Um, and, and, uh, which is awful on so many levels, but, yeah. but then how do we, um, grow into the places and the people that we want right. to be yeah. and have that awareness? Yeah, it definitely takes some, I think it's a little bit of, I call it art, science, and then, and I just say magic because it's a yeah. secular Mystery. word to say, right? But, so depending on where you're at, it could be magic, it can be your faith, divine, right? Um, but, um, but yeah, like ultimately... I, mean, I, I say to folks, anybody who's who's in hard stuff and experiencing hard things, like the 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 best way to approach it. And I, and I remember when I started doing this, it's like, let me try to understand. Like this is hard and it's impacted me. Okay, let me just sit in that for a second because it, it is hard. Like, and so and so, I, I tell folks don't don't like get out, of, get in the temptation to try to move out of it too fit, mm -hmm. too quickly, right? Like just sit in and experience it, right? And it sucks. It's painful. It is painful. Yeah. Um. And then the next thing is like the danger. The thing is like don't then try to get rid of the pain with like 
stuff that's just band-aiding or covering it up, right? So that could be like, oh, I'm gonna get into a relationship. I just got a relationship. Right. It's hard. It sucks. I don't want to be alone. It's painful. I can distract myself, right? So don't don't jump to distractions, mm-hmm. right? Deal with your stuff and take time to just deal with it without the distractions. Um, and, and then healthy coping, right? Because we all need a break. Yeah, we do. from the pain, but it's, it's but don't kind of, avoid it. That's what I'm yeah, right. and that's what I'm trying to say. Like, don't avoid it through distraction because it'll ultimately catch up to you Mm. um and then and then the other thing i always say is just is just get good really good at just saying like what can i learn how how can i use this for not only my good but for other folks good Mm -hmm. um because because now you're taking something very tragic and that that feels like it's draining power from you and you're using it to to create power that's good Um, and so you know, like those perspectives, I think is, is important when going through, through tough stuff, just like lamenting in it, sitting in it, and then not trying to like cover it up or mm-hmm. use distractions. Don't try to run from it, deal with it. And then to look at the moment and just ask the question of how, how can I turn this thing into power? Right. Um, Cause it can be right. It's just, but it just takes a different perspective to do it. Right. So Thank you for sharing that. Oh, yeah. So good. I yeah, love to hear how everyone has gone through things differently and what, right. we've, what we've all gone through and that we're not alone in right. that. Um, not alone. Yeah. Speaking of not alone, Kyle Seal, I've known you for many years. Yeah, for a while, right? <laughs> when we started up Credo Conduit uh, in the early... But it was before that, like I, like I saw you running through the coffee shops. Yeah. Um, so coffee shops started 2010 for me. You, and you dipped off to like Australia or something. I did. That was 2000, <clears throat> excuse me, 14. I remember that. Yeah. You were excited about that trip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was. <laughs> I was like, you're doing what? Like, <laughs> you just, like, I was like, who is this? This, And I swore that you were a trust fund kid. M- me? You thought <laughs> yeah. I was a trust fund kid? I was like, that's the only person who can do this. Like, could just take a sabbatical for a year from life. And it say, wasn't a year. It was three months. Well, okay. Three months. Right. So <laughs> in your head, you're like, yeah, who can just put their life on pause, on pause and right? go travel? Then, yeah. That time I was in the middle of it. Right. Like uh-huh. I was in the middle of just trying to figure stuff out. So that what you were doing was like a luxury. I was right. like, oh, that's a luxury to me. <laughs> How do you, she must be a trust fund kid. It is a luxury. And it's funny because I grew up in Northern Virginia and um, we did not have a lot of money. So yeah. growing up in that um, arena with uh, not scraping by by any like not you know in that way but like we didn't I didn't have the wealth that I grew up around right so um, we my dad was an entrepreneur um, and sometimes money was abundant sometimes money more often than not was not abundant Mm -hmm. and so I knew and I still know how how to uh, be frugal and how to live um you know, uh, modestly in that way. Yeah. And the things that are important to me are travel. And so I had saved up that money, um, to, to take a sabbatical because I just, I was like, this is what life yeah. is passing me by. I'm working so much. And if I'm not really enjoying it, then what is the point? Yeah. Um, and so I, no, that makes sense now. Like now that I know you, uh-huh. like everything you just said is like it's true. Because the way you construct your life, I'm just like she. She has to be different. I can see the frugalness. I can yeah. see your your you how you love life. 
and how you enjoy the things you do. But then I can also see the work that you put in in order to do that. Right. Um, I give up some things on one end. Oh, yeah. You give up. You give a lot more yeah. than what I would give up. But, right. <laughs> you know, but, but that's the the that's really cool though you know so I, but I can see that mm-hmm. not, not, I know I know con- concretely you're not a trust I fund am kid. not a trust fund and I see kids. how you make things happen and, and mm-hmm. you make choices and you make sacrifices and right and that's the reason why so you just didn't I didn't up and just say oh I'm just gonna yeah, go I'm just gonna go <laughs> yeah I that is yeah I would love to to have more resources in that way to, yeah. to be able to. So that's why I think, yeah, a place I'm like, there's so many places I haven't been to. Like I, w- I would love to go to Cuba anyway. So I've known you for a lot of years and just over a lot of years, there's been so many different things that you've been involved in and passionate about. And I've just learned from you so much, the kind of the dedication of hard work. And, um, you know, we both have had moments over the years of just being like, it's a hard entrepreneur life. You know, you Mm -hmm. kind of sometimes come up against walls and, um, pivoting and, you know, just early on with dinner party, I really, I mean, I still figure figuring things out, but, um, along with you, we're just like, ah, sometimes like it doesn't make sense or learning how to be a leader. Right. Oh Lord. Um, but would you let us know kind of, um, what you're currently in and all the projects that you're doing? Yeah. The the one thing I like to do is just frame it the right way because if I talk about it independently, it doesn't make sense. But, um, one of the things I did started to do back in 2015 was just put it like an overall mission on my life and say, okay, what what am I here to do and what's the mission? Mm -hmm. And so that it became to help people find and figure move into the power of their unique story. And so I take that mission and, and then I use it as a filter to say what work I'm not going to do and what work I am, I am going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it happened to, so, I, so, so it informs why I got into that education, but I'm no longer doing that. Um, but it informs why I'm doing that co-working thing with, with Ben and informs rally, which is a social en- enterprise accelerator. Um, and then it informs like my new work, which is around the beloved cu- the concepts of the beloved community, um, and the beloved community. Yeah, the beloved community, which okay. is a which is a notion that um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. expanded on, um, um, which originally came from the theologian named um, Joshua Royce um, around. A world that is both just the force, justice, and um, equal opportunity to all, mm-hmm. and the underpinnings of it is love. Um, and so, and so, there's choices to be made. Like, like you, you, there's dignity and worth, and that's included in the bluff community. People's differences, uniquenesses, gender, race are all considered essential components that are components that are essential to making everyone's lives better. Um, there's an economy of abundance. People mm. work out of economy abundance mm. versus scarcity. So people share I need freely. To learn more about that. Yeah, they share freely. Right. Um, where love holds hands with justice and you know triumphs over hate and, and fear. Um, and um, people stand in solidarity. So I mean, there's, there's many aspects of the beloved community, but that's that's the society it is. And, and King talked about it, and and so um, the work that I'm really that I'm, I'm still doing the community. The co-working, I'm still doing rally, but the work that I've really been pushed in last year as a result of George Floyd being mm-hmm. invited into some conversations and saying, okay, what am I, what am I going to talk about? And then how, and how am I going to talk about this? Like, what is my voice and what is my platform? What resulted was this, this way of 
of walking people through hard conversations and for them to be able to put people who are different than them with the outcome being um, one of healing and repair. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so part of it is based on the notion that we're getting to this notion of the beloved community and and, and that's used to validate and affirm and making sure everybody is in, and making sure the environment is brave for that kind of exchange. But then, a, and then a part of it is part of this, this concept called, um, um, restorative justice, which is a, a approach to how victims and offenders, instead of discarding a victim mm-hmm. and saying they have no use, mm-hmm. um, or the offender justice being dictated by the court system and not by what they feel like is justice. Justice is taken out of their hand. Restorative justice brings those two individuals together into an encounter mm-hmm. where they speak each other's truth. And the goal is for the victim and the offender to hear each other's humanity mm-hmm. and to see it. And then for there to be authentic amends. So it can be apologies. It can be restitution. It can be whatever. And then they come together about what that looks like. And they move in that direction together. But the whole notion is that the victim also has value and we want to get that value back. Mm. Not only for myself to restore my value because you've taken it away to restore your participating, restoring my dignity that you took away. But then also um, this process helps you to become a value to the community around you. And so it's a combination of both of those. And that's the work I'm excited about today is just helping organizations um, be able to think through this, like how do they have conversations about racism and justice and inequality within their organizations in a way that doesn't lead to people being angry or shamed or guilty or canceled out or whatever. Um, and then also how do they build programs that are designed to address, you know, poverty, aggression, racism, how do they build programs that don't feel, um, insincere or paternalistic or um, yeah, paternalistic, I think is probably a good word um, where the, the people, the recipients like, like, I know you built this for me, but you didn't even talk to me about it. Right. And there's a lot of programs that are being built. And so the work I'm doing now is really trying to help, like I said, organizations become um, to embody and to advocate for the beloved community and mm-hmm. to do it in, in ways that are, are helpful, both in having conversations, but conversations that lead to real action right. where there's amends and healing at the end of it. That's so, beautiful. Yeah. 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 Thank so, you for doing that. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that's, that's. Is the beloved community something that is your own initiative or something that you're stepping into with others that are, have already, um, been doing it? Well, yeah. Well, there's people who talk about the beloved community and there's definitely probably thought leaders around, around that. Um, but the way that I'm going about it, like a framework on how do you get there, I think is a, is a newer thing. Cause when I look out there, like no one has really has constructed a framework. They talk about it, mm-hmm. they'll do seminars about it. Oh yeah, yeah, that's cool. That sounds good. How do we get there? Nobody's really done that. And like so implementing. Yeah. Like, like how do we, yeah, like, right. Restorative justice. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, so that's new, right. Where I'm taking a beloved community and using a restorative justice process and bringing them together. That's probably the innovation in it, I think. Right. Like right. that's still, but, um, but, but yeah, uh, initially, it was just me, me, like I said, trying to figure out my voice and then being very conscious about talking to people who were different to me. So, like, mm-hmm. I became friends with, you know, this one guy was from, like, Alabama. He was like, I'm sure he voted for Trump. He's evangelical. Like, we would never know each other. Right. He's he's like 60 something years old. Sure. Like, but um, but I made a, cho- a commitment to him and to be friends with him. And and talk about this thing that I'm doing and, and, and talk to like a campaign manager for like 
say Trump, right? Like, and then, but just the, the key was just to talk to people to get out of the bubble because what I'm talking about is peaceful resolution and reconciliation without yeah. conflict, right? Between people who have very different beliefs and ideas about what's justice and what's, what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and not enforcing, getting and not being tempted to do like culturally what's going on, which is like to cancel people out or stay in a bubble, but it's just, but, um, and so if I'm going to talk about this, I had to like do it. And mm-hmm. so I had to like, intentionally enter into conversations with people that I normally wouldn't and talk about these hard issues that are right. very emotional, right? And figure out a way to get through it. And fortunately, um that was good work. And so when I when I say that I built this framework, it is a collection. It is it has the input of a lot of people. There's all kind of blood from other people on this body of work. Mm-hmm. Um, um that helps it be what it is today. Um, so I don't feel like it was something that I created in a silo. It, it, it felt like it was divine and collaborative and yeah. community effort. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. I really didn't kind of know any of that. Of it's I, a newer I, thing. I heard some trickles of things, but yeah, yeah, I love to hear the full kind of scope and dream of that and how yeah. we must move towards you know, those places and spaces and yeah. Yeah. Um, I read and watched just mercy, um, during quarantine early yeah. on. Um, I, I saw, I saw that pop up and I was like, I had not watched it. And I was like, should I watch this? Have you watched it? No. no. Every time I get catch it, it's like too late. And I'm like, I, I don't want to catch it. Cause I don't want to fall asleep. No. Yeah. So I just watched a Cosby show or something. Well, I shouldn't watch the Cosby show, but I like <laughs> The coffee show is good. I mean, Bill messed it up for everybody, but Rudy and all of those people, Theo, they're still good people. They're still good people. <laughs> so, so good. You got one back here, yeah. but it's a very good show. I mean, but anyway, so my, my whole point was that it's, it's, it's he- like that thing is heavy and that mm-hmm. it's something that I probably should watch during the daytime. But then I got Roman and he's all over the place. So I don't, yeah. So it's, it's harder now. Right. But anyway, but so I'm yeah. glad that I think that people are hopefully waking up to that conversation into the reality, into the facts of what that restorative justice could look like. And, um, I mean, this could be a whole nother conversation of it in and of itself, but yeah, yeah the reality of where we need to do and how, how we need to, um, bring in the restorative, um, element to it and, and to open our eyes. Yeah. To it, right. Yeah. And not live in with our heads stuck in the sand. Cause it's easier to yeah. ignore just how the justice system is not set up for justice. Anyway. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. And that's a, that's a huge, yeah. um, I'm just doing my little small part. Um, there's other, you know, people out there have been doing it much longer. And, and, um, yeah. and so for me, like the whole thing is, is the, what's most appealing to me is just, as we talked about is the restorative part and, and reconciliation of adversaries and, and especially culturally now and the timing we are now, um, I'm constantly still trying to not remove the hand humanity f- from people just because I disagree with them or they did mm-hmm. something terrible. Like at the end of the day, I still fight very hard, although, you know, things they do make me angry and, mm-hmm. you know, I have to deal with that. But at the end of the day, I still try not to strip humanity. And if I'm going to say that they're humans, then I do also believe that they're worthy of dignity and respect. Yeah. And so 
like, but that's hard to do. Right. And you have to be in the right mental headspace to do that. And most people, and I know this is a generalization, but most people aren't in a space mental health wise and even spiritual wise mm-hmm. where they can enter into conversations with people who are adversaries and go walk through it in a healthy way with a common vision of we're going to be better when we leave like that. That is hard work. And I see why it gets discarded. So because it's easier to throw hand grenades in a room or just to walk away from people. Right. And either blow them up or leave. Right. That's right. easy to do. <laughs> I watch my son walk around the house. I'm like, he just goes on. It's just like Dr. Chaos. You can see wherever he goes. It's like, it's just like destruction. He yeah. leaves it everywhere. It's like, well, why? It's because that's easy. Just tear <laughs> stuff apart. Right? It's hard. It takes more work and patience to put stuff together and create. Yeah. You know. Well, that is one thing that I... Um, really value about you and just like knowing you over the years as someone who's been like a stand up guy and has been very thoughtful in his actions and the things that he works towards. Like you're somebody I think that has made Orlando like a better place to be in. Yeah. I'll just honor you and value you and and the things that you do. Do I get like a, like a, um, a little badge that I can put on my, like in the military, like a little (laughs) medal. (laughs) Kindness, kindness, and uh, integrity and honor badge. I should make those. Yeah, right. And give them, give them out. out. But uh, yeah, I think that there's so many people making Orlando such a unique and beautiful place. And having you be a part of that has been really so fun to watch over the years and and what you have, what you have built. And I know the value of, you know, obviously building something. Yeah. Yeah. And nothing and just the, the heartache and the pride that comes along with that. So, yeah, yeah. we're all imperfect works, right? We're just all trying, trying, to, trying to do our best. Trying to do our best. Yeah. <laughs> so, Speaking so. of doing our best, um, we are going to touch because we're um, getting short on time, but we're going to touch briefly on the Enneagram, which I know is something that you're not as familiar with. Um, but obviously the Enneagram is kind of like a personality roadmap Mm. um, of the ways that we're created innately. Uh, It kind of like, I think kind of pairs with our story and then pairs with our DNA. right? Right. So we're just built in one way that we don't have a choice and then our life happens and that kind of shapes and informs who we grow and become. And the Enneagram to me has kind of been a helpful way to, to have the self-awareness like we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to take a stab in the dark. It's no, no binding anything, but from what I have known of you over the years, um, I feel like you would be a number five, which is the investigator. And so the investigator is so passionate about knowledge and about learning and about growing and like kind of knowledge is power. Mm. And so it's like harnessing everything that you can know about, you know, like a topic. Um, Sometimes they're very, some more often than not, maybe more introverted in the ways that they're kind of like, they're processing the world so much in their head that sometimes the exterior interactions is, is a little bit more challenging and or draining because they're just, they want to know everything about the world and they're processing, um, really deep things often. And they're kind of in their heads, um, making sure that they kind of like know their stuff and, or, 
know what's what what is important in their world. Yeah. Um, and so that's uh, that's what you think. As that, yeah, that would be something that comes to mind when I. Yeah, I would say part 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 of that. At first, I was like, "Well, investigator, hunger for knowledge." Like, I don't like reading books, um, but I will read a good article. I will read a good opinion, um, and then there's other ways to learn, right? Just not all, you know. There's audio, visual stuff right. like that, so I do recognize that. And then I was like, "Oh, processing," and I was just thinking this morning how I kind of live in two worlds, where there's like an, an alternative reality, and, and I say that in the sense of like, I'm always processing. If I do this thing, like I'm playing out what that looks like mm-hmm. or playing out conversations like, or, or how alternate things, endings. Alternate, alternate, yes, alternate endings. Right. And so I have like several of those running in my head and, and I was thinking like, oh, I don't know why, what made me think about that this morning, but I was just like, kind of like I'm always processing these alternate endings. Like mm-hmm. if I do this then this, how it may play out uh-huh. um, or if I say this. And so, so it's interesting. So I started to agree with you towards the end at first. I was like, I don't know if I'm an investigator, <laughs> <laughs> but then I can see also how an investigator makes things. I can see how that's also true because like being an investigator actually can get you in trouble because you can investigate people who aren't Poke ready to be investigated. Uh-huh. And and some and then you're so busy wrapped up in trying to understand it. And sometimes you just don't. I, what I've learned is that um, there's a time and place and sometimes you just don't un- mm-hmm. understand. You can't understand everything because you're not in a place to understand it or the person may not be in a place to even understand what they're trying to articulate. Right. And if you move it any further, it's actually unhelpful. Mm-hmm. And um, and so you just trust the fact that if somebody says something is like this, you although you not don't understand it, you trust that it is that way. It's like okay, I I trust you because so, you trust the person's character. Yeah, right. Like, right. Like yeah. So that's something that's like that's a very good husband skill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Because it's like a lot of things I just don't understand. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, let it go. Right. Let I used, it I used go. To just use For the happiness the of the home. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, so, yeah. No, it's cool. Yeah. Um, so, we will uh, uh, move on to our final topic, which is my favorite topic, which is rest. Um, mm. And I think the value of rest is undervalued, um, you know, in our society and in um, the health on so many levels, physically, spiritually, emotionally, all the, all the things like the ways that we kind of step back and, and, and really guard, you know, time or, you know, seasons of um, play, discovery, physical rest, um, things that bring us joy, just being able to have downtime so that we can renew, restore, recover in order to bring our best selves into the world. Yeah. For you, what, what are some practices of rest that you have incorporated? Into so I think it's a, uh, for me, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a belief that I actually um, run with, which is, um, which is that I do believe that there is enough time provision to do all the things um, that we're called to do or called to take care of, um, to, to do those perfect, to do those well, right. It's, it's enough time provision to do those well. Right. And so when I, when I pull back out of that statement, I say, okay, if there's enough time, because the tendency is to believe that we don't have enough time. So it's like, Oh, I, I work and I work in abundance, but then I neglect 
the wife that I have or the kid that I have or friends that I have or even my own body, the body that I have. Um, and so I neglect these things. And so and so the question becomes, if there is enough time to to handle all the things in your life in a very good way, um, the question is, how do you you have to be super aware of like what's the thing at that moment, like what's the ebb or what's the flow or mm-hmm. what's the season that you're in. And so, and so for me, it's like, it's like there's hard barriers that I put up. Like I do believe that work is work and I don't rob my rest or my time with my family for work. Like, and that's hard. Like I'll shut it down at five o'clock and I don't do anything. I don't, take calls. I don't answer Mm -hmm. emails because I believe like it'll be okay. Right. Um, I need to be with my family because this is important. This Mm -hmm. is one of the things I've been called to take care of. Right. So I need to be with my family. I need to be with my, my, so, so when I'm doing that thing, I need to be fully present when I'm here. Mm -hmm. I'm not consumed by time. What I'm here is I'm here and I need to be present because this is what I'm called to do in the moment. And so I don't have to worry about, okay, my phone's been going off. Who's calling me? Like, I don't do that. Right. And so, so that's what rest looks like for me is understanding, um, first of all, taking inventory and saying, what are all the things that I, that are, that I have in my life that I have to take care of and, and that are gifts. And then believing that there's enough time to, 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 to handle all of them. Well, um, um, and then it's up to me now to figure out to fight in the tension of when do I stop and rest from things, rest from work. I need to rest from sleep, right? I can't sleep all day. Right. I can't work all day. I can't be with my family all day. I can't be with my son all day. I can't be with you all day. And so I got to find a balance and that's the tension of it all. Right. But, um, but I do believe in like wrestling with that on a, on a daily basis. And I also advocate for that in the spaces that I'm in. So like we brought on people at the conduit, the co-working space, or even with rally and they'll email me at six o'clock at night or seven o'clock or eight o'clock or on the weekend. And I say, listen, here's my belief systems and, and I'm committed to this. And I'm also will advocate for it for you. And I explain to why. And so people are like, Oh, and I see how that's actually it's helpful for other folks to mm-hmm. be able to know that they're like, it's freeing to know that you don't have to work all night and be super like, like you can just rest and be Sleep present. Down. And, and that just puts up a better quality of life. And I think as a result, like our experience and our time together is just better as a result of it. Mm-hmm. So I, so I know that's like, like this, so that's how I view like rest. Rest isn't just me sleep or relaxing and doing nothing. Rest to me is just like resting from certain activities be- and placing that energy somewhere else mm-hmm. and sleep yeah. and working out and my wife and my son and, you know, at work with you and being fully present in those moments mm-hmm. and fighting the temptation to be distracted. So I'm not sleeping and leaving the TV on. You know, or I'm not talking to you and then simultaneously trying to read my text messages and emails. Right. Right. Um, So I'm resting from those things. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully it makes sense. That's so good. No. (laughs) Um, Would you have like an ideal, like let's say you had like a, a Sabbath day. It could, it could be here. It could be anywhere in the world. Money is of no issue. Like if you could just have a day, 24 hours of like an ideal day off like to Mm. just whatever whatever your dream is like what would be like the most fun day what does that look like for you so there's this i'm gonna go back to havana and old havana actually yeah 
there's this courtyard, there's like this church and there's this school and it's a big courtyard and there's vendors out outside. And then there's this building where there's like this art gallery. And then it's like the restaurant that's like at points you go up these stairs and are really narrow. Right. And you go up and you end up on, on this one level. And I remember that because Amber and I like hung out there and that's where we ate all that food and all that stuff. But it was just so like relaxing. Right. Um, and and I think to myself, like, man, like I, I want to go back there and and just relax and chill mm-hmm. and hear the bustle of people, people trying to live their lives and stuff and the conversations in different languages. And then also like have like my son there, right. Mm-hmm. To be able to experience that. And like that, that we're looking forward to, like, we always talk about getting back to Cuba, to Havana. Yeah. Um, and, um, cause we really just enjoy like the people there. Like we, like I actually have friends down there. Like I have people that I communicate with down there on a the regular, um, and, um, and go visit like at their homes or their places of business and mm-hmm. stuff. And I really like, I, I like that. So that's, that's what I would, that would be our ideal day. Oh yeah. That would be yeah. our ideal day. Wandering around and well, just sitting at that restaurant with my, all right. Amber and my son and right. just having cocktails and drinking and just. Mm-hmm. being present right <laughs> that sounds wonderful <laughs> oh, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that sounds uh sign me up yeah i'm ready for ready to stretch my legs yeah yeah well, that so yeah so we just gotta get, ready, get our hands on what's everything that's going to on to get now. there yeah so one last question for you and then we're gonna wrap it up um but do you have an mo or a mantra that you try to live your life by no, just that mission. I think to help people find a fearlessly move to the power of their unique story. I, 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 like, yeah, maybe. Okay, professionally, I think that that governs my life. Um, and then, uh, maybe, maybe I like, I, like, um, I would say probably like use the word love. Um, and I know it's overused, but when I talk about it, it's like, it's like, I think definitely now it's not, not think I know this, um, it's become important to constantly be working towards that, like with people. Um, and, and so how can I display that? Right. And, and you know, the way that you and I will look at it is, is that like, sometimes love is, is weighty, you know, it causes, mm. it's not all like you make me feel good stuff. Like when I think of love, I think of, you know, like the patience and the forbearance and the no record keeping and, Ooh. you know, all that stuff. And, and you think like, wait, when is that, when do you have to do that? And that's in the midst of conflict. Right. It's like, oh, so a big component of love is not absent of conflict. It's like it's most displayed in conflict. Mm. And so it's just like there's conflict every day in their life, right? I have conflict and it's just like there's no avoiding. There's no No avoiding, one's getting right? through life without <laughs> any conflict. No. So I'm just trying to learn like that is a really governing position. Like how do I love others well? And it requires like a lot of self-examination of my mm. myself and self-awareness and being conscious of it. and do I do it right all the time like no right but but I am conscious of it um and always trying to work towards it although sometimes I feel like 
I might fall asleep at the wheel every once in a while, but I mean, but I'm human too. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but I am thinking about it and that's what's important and I am working at it. So that's also important. Right. Um, that's no. so good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank that was, you. That was fun. Where would we find you online and all your projects? I think the easiest thing is just go to my website, which is um, KyleCSteel.com. So, Kyle C. Steel. Yeah, K-Y-L-E and then C, C as in Charlie and then Steel. With an E at the end. With an E at the end. Not, and some lady at 7-Eleven once said, like, do you spell your name S-T-E-L-E-A-L? And I was like, have you ever met what? anybody named Steel? Like, 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 <laughs> like, like, I would have thought you would have like, said S-T-E-E-L, like right. metal. S-T-E-A-L? And, and, I'm like, and I was like, no, it's S-T-E-E-L-E. So yeah, Kyle right. C. Steel. And everything is there is organized where they can dive off into either my personal story or my work okay. um, or even my family if they want And to. the beloved community is, is on a, there? Is, is there. As soon as you land on the front page, it's okay. like my mission. And then underneath is like the four areas in my life that I'm focused on right now. Okay. It's the beloved community, the conduit rally. Um, well, I, I call it justice, justice and equality, um, community, um, social entrepreneurship, and then my family. And those are the four areas that I'm focused on right now. Dope. And they manifest themselves through various projects, right? Right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Beautiful. That's it. Thank you so much for doing some day drinking with me. Yeah, this is good. Like, I kind of had like a buzz. I had to like pull back a little bit. I was like, man, I got to roll into a meeting. Right. <laughs> so I can't be in there all like, <laughs> I mean, you can. I mean, <laughs> and I haven't eaten either. So I was like, right. it's a baby half my son's oatmeal. So because <laughs> right. he didn't want to eat it. But like don't don't waste it. Like that's good oatmeal. I made it good. Yeah. Um, fair enough. I've eaten a lot of baby f- food in the last 14 months. Like, cause I eat whatever he doesn't eat. Yeah. Um, waste not, want not. No, no, no. It's actually pretty good. Like we make all his stuff and and like that little baby oatmeal, like you wouldn't go to the store and buy it. But like when you prepare it, like you prepare it, like we put, I put almond milk with a hint of honey in it. I put like a little bit of brown sugar, some butter, slice up some bananas and strawberries, mm-hmm. put it in the microwave and, and give it to him. And it looks like baby food, but if you eat it, it's, it's wonderful. So good. So yeah. yeah. And even if these little treats are like wonderful too. Like my wife and I are talking about that. Like we're, we, we should actually buy this because <laughs> it's like filling. It's like almost no calories. It's like you can eat 50 pieces and it's only 25 calories. Right. All the snacks, all the baby snacks. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, until next time. Until next time. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Yes. Have a good time. See ya. Sweet. See ya. (laughs) Thank you a million times over for listening to Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I hope you have enjoyed all of it. If you have, would you do me a huge favor and rate, comment, and subscribe for more Cocktails and Conversation? 